a Lifetime Original Podcast. This episode covers topics that include murder and violence. Listener discretion is advised. On October 8, 2003, 8-year-old Joseph Smith is found unresponsive in a wooden chest in his parents' Mableton, Georgia home. He's not breathing and he has no pulse. His parents try to resuscitate him, but it's not working. When they finally call 911, police arrive to discover that Joseph is covered in bruises and abrasions. He's pronounced dead at the hospital a few hours later. But police don't think this is just some accident or an act of God. They believe that Joseph's parents played a major role in their son's death. But when the police accuse them of abuse, a little-known organization steps in to protect the Smiths, Remnant Fellowship Church. Remnant Fellowship has become a guiding light for Christians in over 130 cities in the U.S. It was created and run by a woman named Gwen Shamblin. For years, Gwen has been teaching her parishioners that in order to discipline their children, they must beat them. It was encouraged, even for the most minor offenses. But with the death of eight-year-old Joseph Smith, those teachings are being called into question. People are asking, is Gwen running a cult? I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The question of responsibility in the death of Joseph Smith, it's really, it's not an easy one. I'm not going to pretend to be a religious person, but I know that people all throughout history have tried to use their religion to justify all kinds of crazy, horrific acts. But that's not really what we're talking about in this case. In fact, what happened to Joseph Smith is surprisingly clear-cut compared to other religiously motivated crimes. Because in this specific case, the responsibility seems to fall directly on the founder of Remnant Fellowship, Gwen Shamblin. You might be asking yourself, what kind of church is Remnant Fellowship? And it's actually probably not like one of the churches you'll find in your hometown. Remnant Fellowship's origin story is pretty unique. It actually started as a weight loss workshop which frankly is how most famous religions started, right? It's like why we have Our Lady Weight Watchers and St. Jenny Craig. It all started when Gwen Shamblin first goes to college in the 1970s, and she's always had trouble with overeating because she grew up in the household that said, you know, clean your plate when she was a kid. And obviously body image issues are really tough for, I was going to say young women. For no, all for women. For all women. <laughs> But when Gwen goes to college, she runs up against that classic college issue, the old freshman 15. 
And listen, Gwen Shamblin is really mean to herself. In her book, she talks about how she looked like a pregnant potato with toothpick legs. Her self-image issues end up leading her through this roller coaster of diet programs and nutrition classes. And because of her incredibly strict religious upbringing, she starts to view these programs through the prism of her Christianity. She equates thinness to purity, to holiness, to godliness. But after she takes a bunch of these classes, she is having a hard time reconciling the science that they're bringing to the table with her belief system. She's maybe even a little offended that none of her teachers ever mention God in their classes on nutrition or how to lose weight. Worst of all, she doesn't feel like she's learned anything that will actually help her. So she decides to take matters into her own hands. So in 1986, Gwen founds a program called the Way Down Workshop, which is spelled W-E-I-G-H, which, frankly, we love a pun. Now, this workshop, this ideology she's adopted, it doesn't actually require any exercise or activity. The whole thing is focused on dieting and God. But really, you could say it's about discipline. Now, Gwen's secret to losing weight is get this. Hmm. Don't eat when you're not hungry. And and do things like drink water a lot in between bites and savor every single morsel as though it was spooned into your mouth by God himself. I can get on board with some of that. Sure. But what would I do if I was bored? I, I love eating some popcorn. I love eating some candy. Yeah, no, ain't gonna work for me. She runs this workshop every week, and she charges $120 a head, the work of God. And it catches on, and it grows to where she ends up publishing a book on her weight loss program called The Way Down Diet. And in this book, she encourages dieters to take all the energy that they spend thinking about food and change directions, pivot that energy, and put it towards the Lord. Quit binging your cupcakes and start binging Jesus. But what makes her book incredibly unique is that it doesn't just focus on food. She asserts that if you use these principles on every part of your life, it will improve, right? So say you have a problem with drinking. She tells you to read the Bible. Um, Are drugs a problem? Read the Bible. Are you depressed? Read the Bible. Are you gay? Stop looking at Jesus's abs and read the Bible. With Gwen, it is all about discipline. All the attention Gwen is receiving for her Way Down workshop lands her some really big media opportunities. She goes on Tyra Banks' show to promote her diet. She goes on Oprah. And in 1998, she goes on Larry King Live and expands her message beyond just weight loss. In this clip, she tells Larry King that American society is in a state of moral degradation. We're in a society that's looking for self-gratification, and everything is related to how it affects us. In fact, all our institutions are going downhill, all of them. If If you cannot have a moral standard, a true moral standard to go by, and everybody's out there doing his own thing, it's chaos. And that's what we're gonna see. If there is not justice done, if there is not justice done, I'm afraid there'll be no end no end to discord and disrespect in this country, and I'm worried about it. It's like she gets a taste of power and she starts to expand it beyond dieting. 
Her teachings are wasted if they're only applied at the dinner table. She believes that this is a whole lifestyle. In 1999, Gwen Shamblin and her husband David found the Remnant Fellowship Church in Franklin, Tennessee. They build a church on a 40-acre lot with enough seats to host 500 people. And immediately, controversy finds Gwen at this church, first from her fellow Christians. This is a woman preaching in an incredibly male-dominated field. That causes some people to give pause. And then she starts to question the Holy Trinity, which is the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, which again is something you just don't do. But then she asserts that churches just aren't strict enough. She wants the way down rules of discipline and obedience to God to guide her congregation. And this is where the way down workshop becomes a recipe for disaster. I get the feeling that Gwen really hated herself and that misery loves company. Like that she, part of starting this was that she's doing all these really restrictive behaviors and putting herself uh, through this regiment. And by justifying it, by making everyone else have the same sort of body shame and micromanagement, I think it makes it somehow justified in her mind. It makes it feel better. Well, I think it's also worth noting that the way down started as this idea of like listening to your body, listen to your bodily, listen to the cues. Like it actually started off as like not terrible not terrible restrictive dieting. The idea was you can eat whatever you want. You can have the candy bar. You can have the brownie. It's just listening to your body cues, which I think is is not a bad, I'm going to say, it's not like a terrible sort of like thing to know about yourself. Or, How, or an original idea. It's like this totally, has been it's done not an to original. death. Exactly. I think, but again, it goes down to this like crazy slippery slope. Well, Gwen thinks that God is this guy that is hot, and that he wants you to be hot. And she really, like, sexualizes him in this way where she's, like, she's, oh, she'll yeah. say it herself that she has, like, a crush on him. Very weird stuff. And I feel like it's this big motivator for her where she's, like, we got to get sexy for God, y'all. You said stop thinking about Jesus's abs. I don't think Gwen can. I think that she <laughs> she's trying to stay fit for her man, who in this instance is God. Yes. Also, I want to be very clear, too. She was raised in a very, very strict church where women were not allowed to pray openly. So I think also like that combined with what it is to be a woman in this way, I think has totally influenced her. And I think that she's kind of doing this major overcorrection in starting this church. And with the church, she wants even more control of her congregation's lives. And that includes how they live, how they worship, and unfortunately, how they parent. It's 2001, and the Way Down Workshop is an enormous success. According to Gwen, there are 30,000 workshops in church basements and back rooms all over the world. I mean, it's going strong in 70 countries. And I think we already mentioned, this thing is making some money. And at this point, it is a multi-million dollar business. The program is also sustaining Gwen's new church, the Remnant Fellowship, the essential headquarters where Way Down Workshop subscribers would congregate. Gwen even forces her Way Down employees to join her church, which, spoiler alert, that's really illegal. You can't force your religion on your employees. She's going to try. She'll try anything once, that Gwen. She would. Except butter. No, just kidding. (laughs) 
No, she says she does eat butter. Like yeah, a we'll lick of it, but gross. During services, Gwen gives lectures to a crowd of hundreds, even though, remember, she does not believe women should lead church. According to her, they should be subservient to their husbands. But as usual, Gwen sort of considers herself an exception to many rules. Okay, imagine you're at the Remnant Fellowship Church and you see Gwen Shamblin preaching, okay? She is this petite blonde woman. Her hand is held high above her coiffed tower of blonde hair. And by coiffed tower, we mean coiffed tower. You know the saying, the higher the hair, the closer to God? Okay, well, she took it incredibly literally. In videos, you're going to see her hair just like increasing in height gradually. It's the most insane. Her hair goes from teased to assaulted. It's frankly teased for the gods. I I can't even explain who did this to this woman, but you know what? She had it coming. She sermonizes like she's a televangelist. She's passionate, she's warm, and she has like a southern twang that softens her message. In her sermons, Gwen preaches to the crowd about how to parent their children the way God intends. Yeah, she tells them, you know, God says, spare not the rod, and she means the whipping rod. She tells parents in the congregation, if you're not spanking your kids, you don't love them. She even tells the children who are present that disobedient kids go to hell. Do you tell your kids that, Quinn? Oh, every day. Every day that's how they wake up. I hand them their waffle and I tell them all about hell. We love fear-mongering children. That's always worked out so well in disciplinary actions. Former members allege that Gwen encouraged them to physically discipline their children. There are even rumors that she suggested parents spank their kids with the glue sticks used in hot glue guns because they sting like hell, but they don't leave a mark. Gwen and church leadership have strongly denied these allegations. In media appearance, you will hear Gwen boast about how obedient and well-behaved the kids in her congregation are. And you know what? That might be true. But that obedience is likely just a byproduct of very, very real abuse and fear that Gwen is encouraging. In 2003, little eight-year-old Joseph Smith behaves contrary to the teachings of the church. Apparently, Joseph embraces his damnation. According to his parents, Joseph Sr. and Sonia, Joseph calls himself a soldier of the devil, and he speaks in strange voices. They say he often threatens to kill members of the family, and once he heated a fork and stuck it into his siblings' pants. His parents think maybe he's possessed by a demon. But if their accounts are true, it does just sound more like he's dealing with some mental health issues and could really use some help, some love, some counseling. But instead of giving him those things, instead of taking him to see a psychologist or, I don't know, a doctor, they do what Gwen advocates. They discipline him. This kid is eight years old, and I got to tell you, it sort of feels to me like this kid has just been disciplined his whole life, and he just doesn't know how to express himself. Yeah, and the discipline is not, as you could imagine, chill. We're not talking about a standard, I don't know, like, go to your room and think about what you did time out. No, when, when Joseph gets sent to his room, he is sometimes locked inside with only a Bible 
nothing else, for days and days at a time. There's this story um, of a babysitter who worked for Remnant Fellowship, and her job was to watch the kids during services or during activities. And Joseph came in, and he was upset or acting out, and she was instructed by his parents to hit him when he cried. And she sort of looked at them incredulously and said, no, I'm not going to do that. So then his dad takes little Joseph into the other room and this babysitter hears him screaming and crying. After that, she quit babysitting altogether. Joseph's brother would later say that his parents hit Joseph with a foot-long glue stick, belts, coat hangers, and extension cords. He also says that the usual trigger for Joseph starting to misbehave or get unruly was church service. So on the morning of October 8th, 2003, the family is about to participate in a church service. The Smiths are sitting around their kitchen table. They're about to watch a webcast of Gwen Shamblin's church service. And Joseph starts screaming and crying and cursing. He allegedly even tries to hurt his two-year-old brother. So his parents decide they need to teach him a lesson, and they lock him inside of a wood-lined wicker chest, and he stays in there until his screaming stops, about 15 minutes later. He will be found there unconscious, unresponsive, and though he isn't declared dead until he gets to the hospital, he isn't breathing, and he doesn't have a pulse. The medical examiner will later say that Joseph Smith died of blunt force trauma and positional asphyxiation. They blame chronic abuse. His parents are arrested and charged with murder, manslaughter, aggravated assault, cruelty to a child, false imprisonment, and recklessness. As you might have already guessed, Gwen Shamblin denies any responsibility for the death of Joseph Smith. But as it turns out, Gwen very directly advised his mom to do exactly what she did. In a call between Sonia Smith and Gwen Shamblin before Joseph's death, Sonia described how she took all of Joseph's stuff out of his room and locked him in there from Friday till Monday with just his Bible. And she tells Gwen how she hits Joseph on his thighs with glue sticks. And at the end of it, you can hear Gwen praise her for her discipline. And that's a miracle. You've got a child that's going from just bizarre down to in control. So I'll praise God. The media then picks this up, and a local TV journalist plays it for Gwen. Gwen does what you'd expect. She denies that she ever even said this. That tape has been yeah. made or tampered or whatever. I d- totally deny that, is that absolutely that has untrue. ever been said by anyone... She claims that the tape has been doctored, the audio has been edited. Then her story changes. The recording was authentic, but it was just taken out of context. You know, the thing is, Gwen Shamblin helps pay the Smith's bail, and she hires lawyers for the murder defense. But if you ask me, she's really just trying to ensure an acquittal that will absolve her for any perceived responsibility. It's not about justice to her. This is about PR. But also having Gwen control the legal representation for the Smiths, then she can control how much her and her church are implicated in the defense. By controlling the money, she can control the narrative. Clearly, 
clearly this family was abusing their child, partly because Gwen told them that she wanted them to. She told them that God wanted them to. Right. So to me, there's culpability there. They seem like they're all three to blame. But on the one hand, telling somebody to do something isn't being the person to do that. I mean, we've seen that with cases before. So the culpability becomes grayer and grayer. And I guess what I'm asking is, could she actually be culpable in any legal sense of the word? I mean, I think it's obviously a very sticky situation. It's like she's entitled to her beliefs and to share them, but also she's saying it's the word of God and she's functioning like a cult leader. So it's not like a chill piece of parenting advice on a mommy blog. This woman claims to have a direct line to the big guy upstairs and people believe her. I mean, Mm -hmm. she claims she's a prophet. So her followers are going to believe her. But I think it says a lot that she's participating in this case by funding it to cover her and her church in every possible way. What Gwen does next? (laughs) Unbelievable. She had my jaw on the floor because in 2005, she starts lobbying politicians to allow her, to allow her to build an elementary school on her church property. Oh my God. An elementary school. This, This is an absolute recipe for disaster. Local papers report that she's donating to the politicians who can make it happen. After the loss of Joseph Smith, there is no change to her beliefs or her teachings. She's still advocating the same rules of discipline for all ages. And she's also preaching about gluttony and greed and how they're a pathway to hell. Essentially, she preaches that fat people are an offense to God, which is just so disgusting and vile and the fact that she's doing this from her multiple properties and million dollars it's just like it's so insane to me it's so insane to me well remember Gwen's always the exception to the rule her congregation's about 800 people but her rep as you can imagine is starting to take some hits she's dealing with a host of child abuse allegations against the church not to mention the trial of Sonia and Joseph Smith She's defending people in court. She's defending herself in the media. She eventually even starts suing her critics for defamation. The best defense is a good offense. And in 2007, the verdict of the case of Joseph Smith comes down. On the charges of murder, manslaughter, aggravated assault, cruelty to a child, false imprisonment, and recklessness, Joseph Sr. and Sonia Smith are found guilty and they're sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years. Their remaining children are sent to foster care. And while it's justice for Joseph, my heart goes out to all of their children, and my sincere hope is that their foster families treat them with love and respect, because I just, ugh, it's so sad. After 2012, Gwen Shamblin goes quiet. Don't get me wrong, the church stays open and the Way Down workshop continues, but all her media appearances stop. And she's out of the limelight for almost a decade. Because she has everything she could ever want. She's living the life of luxury. Her weight loss business is raking in millions. Her church is her cash cow. That's right, she's taking cash from the donation bowl at the church. 
Her wardrobe is getting more expensive. Her hair starts growing taller and taller, if that even was possible at this point. We got to say she's got some extensions in. She gets a boob job, too. She's got fancy cars. She's got 18 properties, including a $4 million beach house in Florida and a pre-Civil War plantation home called Ashlawn. It's not all great, though. In 2018, she and her husband David get a divorce, which makes a lot of her former church members and current ones, I would imagine, a little bit ticked off because back when they desperately wanted to leave their husbands, Gwen said, you've got to be more obedient, more submissive. you got to make it work. Again, we see another case where Gwen has made herself the exception to her own rule. She is an anti-feminist, but not when it comes to herself. This is a classic do as I say, not as I do, and that seems to sort of be her motto. And just months after her divorce from her first husband, David, Gwen remarries. It's an extravagant wedding ceremony. She ties the knot to a wannabe actor, wannabe country music singer named Joe Lara. And she immediately makes him part of the Remnant Fellowship Church. This guy, Joe, he is not my type personally, but I guess he's sort of an undisputed hottie. Like he played Tarzan in the made-for-TV movie Tarzan in Manhattan. He looks so you're really, he has he looks better like, credits than we do. You're saying, is he more successful? If you think actor that's a good credit, I mean, I don't know. He looks like a brunette Fabio, which again, really not my thing, but obviously totally Gwen's thing. And eager to be arm candy, this guy seems to be a sort of opportunist who just wanted to be with somebody, a lady that could fund his lavish lifestyle. And he's willing to play the part because he's an actor, right? Well, I think it's worth noting, too, that her first husband, David, she didn't parade him around the church like she's doing with Joe Laura. Like, her obsession with appearance and optics has led her down this path where she's just completely skirting the rules that she's made for the rest of her congregation. And Joe, according to the people who knew him before he married her, he's not like a religious guy. This is not his priority. He actually has a history of wooing rich women to fund his lifestyle. So when they marry, Joe has no experience with the church or frankly with really Christianity. Yet he quickly becomes a central figure in the leadership. Yeah, they're all about pageantry, right? It's like, let's look at my beautiful husband. And he's like, yes, look at me. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but it doesn't matter as long as I'm on stage. And I have power. (laughs) Well, maybe because of his work as an actor, maybe because of Gwen's hunger for the limelight, they start a production on reality TV called Life with Gwen and Joe. The trailer features Gwen and Joe frolicking in their orchards and their mansions, and in cursive letters, Gwen and Joe are introduced as the preacher and the pilot, because Joe has a passion for flying planes. And the story pretty much ends there. Not happily, I have to say. I'd love to tell you that Gwen is arrested for embezzlement or that she gets charged with manslaughter in a child abuse case. I would love nothing more than for her empire of lies to crumble around her and for the victims of her manipulation to see justice. On May 29th, 2021, Gwen's daughter sends a text. My brother and I are asking for immediate prayers right now, as we have just gotten word that Gwen and Joe Laura's plane had to go down for a controlled, quick landing. 
We do not have word yet of the outcome, but we are asking for prayers. What we now know is that Gwen and five of her church members are together on this plane that is flown by Joe Laura. They were on their way from Tennessee to Florida, but they didn't make it far because that plane crashed in a lake just outside of Nashville, killing all seven people on board. You might be feeling like this story ended way too soon and too shockingly. It seems like there's just so much left to talk about this case, and we agree. There's so much more to this story, so we decided to reach out to a member of Gwen's church to talk more about what it was like on the inside. Helen Bird was a member of the Remnant Fellowship Church from 2008 to 2018, and after nearly a decade, she has a lot to say about what Gwen was really up to behind the scenes. She spoke with us from her brother's home in New Orleans, and as you'll hear, she is not shy about stating how she feels. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My name is Helen Bird. I was featured in the HBO documentary, The Way Down, all five episodes. Um, I am a mother of three kids. I am a professional and I am a cult survivor. I was part of the Remnant Fellowship and I attended that church from 2008 to right around 2017-18. What drew you to that church in particular? Well, first let me start by saying that I've always been a seeker at heart. So I've done everything from Jehovah's Witness Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, and my mother even took us to a Buddhist temple once. In my search, I happened to take a job that I was seated next to who the person who's now the senior pastor at Remnant Fellowship Church. And what I noticed is that the way that he praised and worshiped and managed difficult situations looked a lot different than the way that I did it. So this semblance of reliance on God and control of one's emotions and how you receive negative things was really the draw. And so I went and they met me with the Black Coalition. I mean, I met every black person. It, like they sent the memo. If you black, you must attend <laughs> and be on time. Stagger your, stagger your interactions with her so it don't look weird. <laughs> So there were no alarm bells going off right away. You're like, wow, this is great. They're all just coming and hanging out. That That's what I thought. It was just like, mm-hmm. oh, they were just welcoming me. You know, silly me. I didn't see the setup until, until after I was in the church and I saw that that's how they did it for every mm. 
person that came in. And it would even be a directive, go love on X, Y, and Z. You were then on the other side of that where they're asking you to go in and welcome a new person. Yeah, love on this person and love on that person. Mm -hmm. Could you paint us a picture of what a typical day at the Remnant Fellowship was like? What were the services like? How big it was? This kind of thing? So they attend church on Saturdays. And so what a typical day would be like would be you fussing over your kids, making sure that they look gothic enough or at least put together enough to go in because nobody showed up as you as you are it was always in your best but then for the women who were going through the way down program it would be like covert ops it's like how can I conceal that I didn't eat this cheeseburger and gain five pounds so really that's that's what it was like is you're making sure that your children look their best but also for the adults it would be like really trying to camouflage. People would be strategically placed, like if you were under suspicion for gaining weight. <laughs> oh my gosh, that that sounds so horrible. Is that one of the elements that it's sort of, to kind of elicit control over you? Is that Absolutely. sort of- I mean- Absolutely, because after the pictures came, come through, then you would be called in and talked to about it seems like your greed is rising up in you and you're not applying this message. You need to get in a class so that you can lose more weight. And of course, the classes were never offered for free. It was you got to pay for this class to get in and make sure that you get your weight down. And you need an accountability partner, a.k.a. their spy. And you need to show progress towards goal. So they're nothing if not efficient. <laughs> progress towards goal, you need to be X amount of pounds, losing X amount of pounds a week for the, for the efficiency. The goal was never realistic for the average body type. Mm-hmm. Like it was never realistic for the average body type. Like I was down to like a literal size seven, eight. I'm five foot nine. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a black woman. So I have curves and everything else like that. What was your first impression of Gwen? I, when I first met her, um, I was blinded by my desire to find people who thought like me. And so I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. My first impression was that, oh my gosh, she is so sweet and you know, so concerned with, but I didn't realize it was part of the act. It was part of the reeling, reeling me in, you know. You mentioned at the services that they're taking photos of you, but this is also while you're worshiping. What did that service look like? They do the worship songs and then Gwen preaches, you know, these very long line by line verse by verse readings, and then she expounds on them based on her understanding of what is is being said. She expounds on them. So it could be Mm -hmm. that kind of service, or it could be a more, we have got to get this right. We're seeing this as, or or more of a rebuke. But there was always like kind of like a fire and brimstone sort of element to it. Just really speaking for God, that you got to get this right so that God can be pleased and everything else like that. So It's kind of, um, you know, she has a format, if you will, or she had a format. What were the key tenets that she would teach in these sermons? Mostly that greed was the biggest sin ever. 
that greed makes you everything else and that blessings come from obedience. So if you got this promotion, but you were fat, it really wasn't a blessing. It was the devil tricking you into thinking that you're on the right track, but you still got all of this weight to lose. So this, this we can't celebrate. This is not a blessing. The audacity, knowing what we know of how many properties she had, how much money she had, and getting well, all of these services out. for free. She yes, was but thin. the fact is that, but the fact that she's teaching that greed is the worst of all, and here she is, just like accruing oh, wealth for that. and things. A, a yeah, profit tell me. is worth their due. A profit is worth <gasps> their due. That is so. Quite literally, these are lessons that you need to follow, mm-hmm. not me. Not me, because I'm a prophet. Wow. And she's telling people she's a prophet. She's telling you that? Oh, yeah. Like, when mm-hmm. our prophet, like, the, it was widely embraced. So, mm-hmm. the, to the notion that, I don't know what people call me. You know what people called you. Stop <laughs> playing. Yeah. Did it feel like the Remnant Fellowship was trying to isolate you from loved ones, from family members? Is that something that you felt? Yes. So when I got married in 2010, none of my family, none of my husband's family were part of our wedding, like stood in our wedding. And so Mm -hmm. the explanation was that they don't believe as we do. When we, you know, marry you, we're going to hold you accountable and give your partners in life and make sure that you're successful and they, they don't believe that. They don't believe as we do. And that's how, you know, you have all of these families who have kind of intermarried and brought these kids in. And then, you know, make sure you're not marrying a cousin. You know, it's just like, yeah. Give them very much. No, 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 no. Give them very much that. Um, I think, too, in, in chatting with us, I think... It's one of those things where your intentions were good, right? Yes. When you, your intentions are good. And also, I think what's so important in talking about this stuff is that people think it can't happen to you, mm-hmm. and that's just wrong. It can happen mm-hmm. to anybody. And so Take I just am so appreciative mm-hmm. of you taking the time to chat because it, it really can happen to anybody. That was the whole thing about Remnant. It was like they were so concerned with the outside optics Mm. that they never really took the time to fully work with the people who had issues of the heart. Right. Yeah, when you say that, I also think to myself that, like, they wanted everything tidy. And when you think about, like, what is the messiest, most out-of-control part of life, I, as a mother, will tell you, children. Mm -hmm. Children, totally out of control, totally messy, totally wild, totally... I guess, tantrums and stuff, pretty bad for optics. And obviously we know that the church was sort of preaching that children should be obedient above Mm -hmm. all else. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that? Well, I think it's initially it was like, oh, sounds like a great idea. Obey your mom and dad. You're going your dad and mom and you get to live long on earth. Sounds like a great thing. But I didn't realize how crushing and stifling that expectation is, how it crushes. And I mean, I'm speaking of my children, how it crushes their will, it crushes their creativity, it diminishes their voice, 
they have no agency over their body or their sexuality or anything else like that. I, I think back to it now, and, and like I said, one of my greatest sins is dragging my, my family through because I, I wanted God, and I didn't understand the relationship that I already had with God. You know what I mean? I needed an outward manifestation of my holiness and rightness with God. And, and I dragged them through it. So that is my greatest sin, my greatest regret, and, and, and that I hurt people in the process. Not only, my, not only my immediate family that lives under my roof, but I hurt my brothers, I've hurt my friends, my sisters, my cousins. Because when you think about things like weddings and, and special days or whatever, there's not an instance unless you don't have family where you don't think about your family being involved. And so I, in effect, substituted these weirdos for my family. I'm curious, in our episode, we're going to cover um, what happened with Joseph Smith, the Joseph mm-hmm. Smith murder, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm curious, this happened well before you were a part of this church, couple right? Years I mean, before. A couple years. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about the allegations of abuse that happened with Gwen Chamblin and the church and all that stuff? And did you pay attention to them? Were okay. you allowed to pay attention to them? Was it? Okay. Yeah. In my time before I joined the church, I did do the, the bare minimum and, and try to figure out who is what and what is this Joseph and Sonia Smith thing. And I happened to be sitting next to, like I said, the person who's a senior pastor right now, and he had the most glowing review of them and the best friendship with them. And he just pointed out, like, they couldn't be child abusers because, you know, if you look at how our church is, it's like it's so loving, it's so this and so that. That kid had a seizure, and I really didn't dig any deeper into it. But fast forward, being in the church, you would catch a glimpse of just how far some parents would go to keep the image of their children being under control. There was nothing loving about it. Mm-hmm. It was very harsh. Do you hold Gwen Chamblin accountable? <sighs> if that's a hard question, I can rephrase it. No, into, it's not really okay. a hard question. It's just one that requires some thought. Because if you think about that you are responsible for your relationship with God... Mm-hmm. and you are responsible for keeping your family safe. When you surrender those things, bad things happen. Well, I, ha- I haven't seen too many instances where you've given up complete control of who you are, what you are, what you do, what you eat, how you sleep, who you marry, and that should turn out well, right? right? And so while I want to hold her responsible for the spiritual misguidance that I I got and how that impacted my family at large. I can't hold her responsible for me taking my sight off of, I'm a mother, I am an individual, I am a professional, I have a brain. I can't can't take her, I can't make her 100% responsible for that. Yeah, but it seems like it was just so orchestrated. It really was. It's so... It was a carnival game in the sense that you're never set up to win. You're never set up to win. It's a false sense of autonomy that they give you, right? Oh, there's no autonomy. It's it's overt that this is groupthink. They would tell you what Spirit of God said. 
the leadership got together and we think this. Now you go apply it. How do you think, I mean, just in, in regards to the Joseph Smith case, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you think, how was it seen how Gwen handled those situations? I mean, what was the optics like in the church? I don't know if you can speak to that. Oh, um, I can. Or... I can because okay. I was there dur- during like the proceedings, through okay. the appeal process mm-hmm. and everything else like that. They didn't have state appointed attorneys like they probably would have had, or maybe they would have obtained their own attorney or whatever. So it was a concerted effort to supply them the support that they needed so that the optics would be deflected from the church, right? It's like, how am I going to turn right. states on, on the church when, the, when, when they provided me this lawyer, this fantastic lawyer? So right. she was very, very calculating with that. But within the church, mm-hmm. are the people saying, oh, Oh, how generous. Yes. How generous to have. Yes. Is that the vibe? How loving. Yeah. How loving of, of Gwen. She's out of her own pocket. You know, she's paying for this lawyer, you know, because we believe the Smiths are innocent. Just, yeah, very much like misdirection and gaslighting around that. Gwen strikes me as a very do as I say, not as I do mm-hmm. in everything. In everything. With the, uh, masculine, feminine and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Just trust me, this is the way to be. I'm not going to do it, but you should. You you found your way out. Yes. You found your way out. So what was that like to make that decision for yourself and what happened with your family? The reason that I left, and it was kind of like a, a really long and drawn out process when it really should have just been like, you know, deuces, you know, um, on it just, it really should have been like that, was <clears throat> when I was at my smallest and I was at my probably most elevated in the church. It's like I'm the black person, the black woman that's getting it right. Look at my body. Look at my relationship with my husband. My kids are great and everything else. Like my kids attend. It's like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, right? So right. during that time, I really heard God say, and I know this is going to maybe sound weird, but it won't after I tell you what happened. I heard God say, even before I crossed the threshold, I'm going to take your dad. You won't ever see him again. And I'm also going to take your grandmother. Two weeks later, he died. Oh, Helen. And I was in the, I was in the ICU with a perforated gallbladder peritonitis. And so I didn't go to his funeral. It wasn't a premonition because, like I said, I hadn't crossed the threshold. I didn't see what he looked like. We were not expecting him to die. But this happened. I got the heads up from the head guy. So so I struggled with that. The, the fact that, you know, I lost my dad. We had just gotten to the point of reconciliation. And I went to my leadership about that. And they were like, oh, Helen's being tested. Poor her, right? Like, they, this is literally what they're saying in my face. I'm having a crisis of faith. And this is what you're talking to me about, or this is what you're Hmm. mocking me about, right? Right. And so from there, it was just like, they didn't have my heart anymore. Like they didn't have my heart anymore. So fast forward to me leaving the church. I had gotten to the point where it was like, fuck y'all, sorry, gotta have it arbitrary, you know. Please. But I was really like, fuck y'all. I go to church if I feel like it, I don't. And, And it had really gotten to a place where it had 
shaken my faith really about God and the place. You know what I mean? So I went to New Orleans, posted a picture where I had temporary sprayed my hair purple and I looked good. Okay. I look good. <laughs> we love right? it. <laughs> and so they asked me to take the picture down because the purple hair was too much. And I said, oh, really? Wait, well, well, tell me how. Oh, well, God doesn't want us to be given to extremes. I said, well, I think it's extreme to have a boob job. I think it's extreme to be a bleach blonde. This is temporary. You see my hair is brown, right? It's back brown, right? I've done temporary things to me. I think it's, I think it's extreme for people to be running around here looking like, looking like uh, Jack Skellington. I think that's extreme. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you say that? Yes. <laughs> to have been there. Oh, I wish to, to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. And how dare they bring up your hair when the leader of the church has a 10-inch bouffant? I can't. Oh, she like, has a family of six rats living on her head. How dare? There. Not only that, but the cultural implications, right? Right. It's right. like you really over here and you trying to take agency over a black woman's body. And now you're telling me my hair, which, you know, it grows out of my head, this color and this texture, that you got a problem with that too. Okay, got it. I was like, y'all could, y'all could kiss the right cheek and the left cheek and I <laughs> save a spot in the middle for you too. I'm out of here. Do you think when you left, did you feel iced out? Did you, did you? If anything, yeah. they should have felt iced out. If anything, the level of, the level of not giving a fuckness that was coming off of me. I mean, I did stuff like, oh, you want to talk about my hair? I bought a cherry red wig, like oh, within a Helen. week, and posted pictures of me going, <laughs> chucking the deuces in my cherry red wig. You hear me? When people leave, it's like, oh, no, think about it, or whatever else like that. The shit I did online... In, in the weeks that I left, they was like, oh, yeah, she really. She's gone. She's, <laughs> she's gone. Don't even she's ask because she's telling did it me. Feel, did it feel freeing to leave? Did it yes. feel? Yes. Yes. Mm, it was just like I got to eat a whole little chocolate cake, you know, by myself and nobody knew. So, yeah, initially it was. It was very freeing. But if you are, if you already have sort of like a a caged mentality or didn't do anything to fix the psychology or my, my construct that I had of God. And so I went right back to seeking another prison to jump into. After you left, did you um, have like that thing that's sort of like when you break up with someone where you're like still checking them out on socials? Yeah. Like, were you like looking to see what Gwen was up to Hell and stuff? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then when that wedding happened, that's when it was like, you know what? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then it was like, then all of a sudden the look was like, oh, let me let me raise my hemline and lower my lower my collar a little bit, you know. <laughs> if you think about it, it's like, you know, she had a lot of things before, but then it's like a helicopter, a Tesla, a, a f helicopter. <laughs> helicopter and everything that you do was is within a mile of your house why why a helicopter a, a jet god rest they soul 
you know, um, but all of these little toys and things like that, you know, he got a chance to play in a little toy box. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how was it when you heard about the news of their sudden death? I mean. Oh, God. Okay. So my mother had died one year to the day previous. Yes. Wow. So my mother died on the 29th of May, 2019. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm getting ready to post this loving tribute to my mother. And this unfortunate event happens, right? And so right. it's like, I'm upset, you know, that they, that they passed and everything else like that because, you know, I had some genuine love for some of the people that was on that, on that flight, right? People mm-hmm. that I felt had never said an unkind word or did anything that was unkind or or untowards towards me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm upset about that, but I'm upset about the fact that, you know, now I'm feeling, is it proper for me to post something about my mom and just not post anything about them? And so I'm like, I'm wrestling with the decency of it. You know what I'm saying? And I still defaulted to them. You understand what I'm saying? So that sounds some weird shit itself. You get, you, you get me? But it sounds like in this moment, just based on what we've talked about in our conversation, it sounds like that moment brought up sort of like all these feelings again, right? It was like that, like, should I post, should I choose them over my family? And the anger at, frankly, the just horrible things that they would say or do. It's like all of that coming at once that had to be so hard. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. And I want to ask after this experience, after your time at the Remnant Fellowship, what are some things that you do now for you? Like, what does your self-care look like? What is, what makes you happy? So I am very interested in starting a podcast. I want to start a podcast so that I can really break down what has my journey been like to heal my family? How is my family? Like, actually, that that's really what I, I want to do. I want to be able to get the word out, get the story out. And I think that that'll be a form of therapy for me. Well, can I tell you, Helen, that we will like, subscribe, rate, and review? We we'll absolutely oh are there for no. it. Helen, oh. I can't tell you how grateful we are to chat with you. Oh, we're so thank you fun. so much. And fun. you said your daughter was brave. We think that you are You're very, brave. very brave. Thank You're brave you. to have been through everything you've been through and still have such a wonderful outlook on life mm-hmm. and contagious sense of humor and laugh. Mm-hmm. And this has been so excellent to speak with you. It's been good to speak with you guys too. Like I am this was the funnest podcast <laughs> that I've done. This is the <laughs> Funnest one. Whoop, whoop. Yes. We love, we love that. to hear we that. Love... Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime and stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it might just be the case we talk about next. We used many sources in our research for today's episode. Among the most helpful were the following. An article in The New Yorker entitled Slim for Him by Rebecca Mead and the HBO documentary The Way Down. If you'd like to learn more about this story, we highly recommend you check out these sources. And special thanks to Lifetime for giving us a sneak peek of their new original movie, Gwen Shamblin, Starving for Salvation. You can watch it on Lifetime on February 4th at 8, 7 central or... 
stream it on mylifetime.com. Crime of a Lifetime is produced by Tanner Robbins. Our associate producers are Hazel May and us, Quinlan Posner and Carrie Epema. Our sound designer and editor is Arlen Ginsberg. Our senior producer is John Thrasher. McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer and Jesse Cass is our executive producer. If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.